Well, good morning to each one of you that are here in the room and also to those of you who are watching online. You know, as I was thinking about this week and coming to the conclusion of uh, this series that we've been in, I was thinking that it's, you know, it's quite fascinating, actually, that we are writing a story. And uh, we are writing a story that is quite significant. It's a story that actually makes an impact in the heavenly realms, is what Paul says. It's a story that is displaying the wisdom of God, that is proclaiming God's goodness and displaying God's wisdom in all of its rich variety in the heavenly places. That's the kind of story that we're writing. I don't know if you think about it that way, but I've been thinking about that this week. Um, And it's it's not just a bit part in God's story. It's actually a really significant part in God's story. It's a part that makes a difference. It's a part that is filled with power and authority and purpose and impact. And we get to be a part of writing God's story. And that's an amazing privilege and also an amazing responsibility. And so that's just some of what I've been thinking uh, about this week. And Paul, Paul describes it in one of his letters in this way. He says that we are a letter from Christ, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And it's not just an individual story, it's a collective story. It's a community story. It's the story of the church. And you know, there's the larger church, the global church that we see around the world that we're a part of, but then also there is this local church in the middle of the prairies in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan called Forest Grove Community Church with each of its three sites living and proclaiming this gospel of Jesus and writing part of this story. Maybe you didn't know that you're an author, but you are. And your story matters. And together our stories are woven together to write part of the story of the church. You know, we know that the church has come to mean a lot of different things. We, at times, have come to understand the church as a building, or we think of it as an organization, or we think of it as an event, like this morning as we gather at a certain time. But, but we know that it's so much more than that, isn't it? We also know that it's worse. The church might be seen as something that is totally irrelevant to our society, or maybe just filled with hypocrisy. But when you read the words of Paul in Ephesians, and you understand God's story and the place of the church in it, it's so much more than any of that. It is a remarkable thing. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's significant. It's the body of believers that are redeemed and restored, that are called out and equipped. It's the primary place of God's presence in the world, and it's the primary means of God's mission in the world as well. And so that's your calling. That's your identity. That's our calling. That's our identity. That is our story. And you know, you you could think of it in this way. I mean, it's kind of a crazy idea that God had, right? Like it's kind of in some ways bizarre, and you you can think of it in that way, that he would place his spirit within and among his people to be a reflection of his kingdom, to be a witness to his goodness, to be the catalyst for his movement, to be the fullness of Christ. But he did this with those early disciples. He did that as we read in the Gospels with those first disciples, this band of uneducated, doubting, denying, and timid first disciples. He put them in charge of the whole enterprise. He said, okay, you take this message and you go. And now he does it with us. And he invites us into this story to continue writing this incredible story. And you'd think that 
that's, there's got to be a better way than this. I mean, to trust it to these fallible people who are so broken and so timid and so whatever, fill in the blank. And, and yet this is God's story and he's sticking with it. It's about the church. And you know, when I, years ago, I, uh, long before I was a pastor, I was convicted by God that I had too low of a view of the church. And I had to repent of that as God really started to show me that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. And the church is this place of broken, sinful, messy people like you and me, but it's this place that God has called to write a story. And it's this place and this movement of God that is called to make an impact in the world and to bring the blessing of God to the nations of the earth. It is the bride of Christ. And even after years of being in pastoral ministry, when I stepped into pastoral ministry, another conviction that God had put on my heart is that I needed to make sure that I didn't speak disparagingly of other churches or condescendingly or critically or whatever, but that I needed to actually honor and bless other churches and pastors continuously. So one of the things in the practices is every time I would buy, drive by a church building where that church meets, I would just pray and give blessing to whoever I knew in that setting and just, just pray for them. It's a practice I do to this day, even as I drive around the city. Because God has this incredibly high view of the church. And so we get a picture of this incredible power and beauty of the church and God's mission uh, through God's people in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at some of those verses in just a few moments. But today, as Chandra said, we are concluding this series, this final segment on understanding the gospel, the church, and racism. And I want to talk about each one of those three things today in different ways. You see, talking about racism is hard. We know that. It's, it's deeply personal by its nature, and it's also very divisive. But we felt like it was timely and important, and we've tried to do it in a way that has been helpful, and we trust and we pray that it has been. So we've been doing it and talking about this in the context and the framework of four stories. And we started with God's story, this idea that we have to place all of our experiences and all of our own stories into the context of God's story as we see unfolding in Scripture and articulated in Scripture, and that God is the one who is supreme. God's story is primary, and all of our stories submit to his story. But they also make sense in the context of his story. And so difficult and challenging issues need to be placed in that context in order to understand them better. And we've been doing that as we primarily look at the book of Ephesians and God's story that's been articulated there. And then we moved into the section of my story, your story, and this idea that each of us have a story to tell. And we also need to listen to others because the issues of racism have touched our personal lives in a whole variety of different ways. And so how we reflect on and think about these things matters. How do they shape, how has our own story been shaped and influenced in terms of our posture, our attitudes, how we live out of some of the issues that we see and we experience. But then also that we need to listen better to other people's stories. Listen deeper, maybe longer, maybe reflect more. And then last week we paused and Don led a great service on lament. So appropriate, I think, in this series where we need to just see and experience this theme that is throughout all of Scripture of lament and the place that it has. So many of the Psalms are about that. 
And at times when we face things that we don't really know what to do with and we face really deep, complex issues that we're uncertain of how to move forward in, sometimes to just pause and just cry out to God and lament is a really appropriate and a good thing to do. And then today we want to end with a focus on the church, our story. And this will actually bridge and lead into a series next, the next four weeks that will focus more specifically on the church. But today we want to think about God's story in the context of, this, of the church. And how do we live into this story and out of this story as the people of God. And, and to see that issues like racism actually have a place of context in God's story and in the church. And we actually can find a pathway and we can find solutions. We can find answers to complex issues in God's story. And we can live out a different one as the church. And so the church has been entrusted with this gospel of hope and truth and reconciliation and freedom. And so how are we going to live it out? We've been given all that we need in Jesus Christ. All that we need. So what will be our story? You know, we can get immobilized by the past, but God continually calls us to move forward and to see and envision and and to live into a new future. Well, Ephesians is filled with remarkable images and truths about what the church is, the nature of the church, the mission of the church, what God has put in place. And I wanted to start there, and I I apologize if I overwhelm you with scriptures here today and different points, but there are just so many beautiful pictures of the church in Ephesians. Let me just touch on some of them. Listen to the way that the church is described by, by Paul. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he says this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Remarkable statement about the church and who Christ is. In Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the church. In Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. A little bit further on at the end of that chapter. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. In Ephesians 4. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is is healthy and growing and full of love. And then lastly, from Ephesians 6, that well-known passage that talks about the spiritual battles, and the spiritual armor. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So this is our story. Isn't that an amazing picture of the church? What God has set in motion and called into being as the bride of Christ to live into the context of our cultures and our issues and our challenges and our relationships with the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and his spirit within us. So we need to live out and proclaim this gospel because it has more power than we often realize. So we need to embrace it and live into it. You know, the, the interesting thing is you look at uh, in Ephesians 2, it talks about the problem within the gospel that it's come to address. And the problem is our sin. And so it's the, the church that's been entrusted with this gospel. And, and the interesting thing about it is that the, it, it, this fundamental problem is right there. It's called sin. And then it also gives us the solution which is found in Jesus Christ. And the problem with racism and all the related issues surrounding it is that at its core, it's a sin problem. of Pride, indifference, injustice, evil, comparison, judgment, oppression, improper use of power, all of those things that are at the core. And our gospel found in Jesus Christ is the solution. Listen to the words of Paul again in Ephesians 2 at the beginning. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So there Paul is giving the problem And then immediately after, in the verses that follow, he gives the solution in verse 4 and 5. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, because it is by grace that you have been saved. So Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the one who tore down the walls of hostility and does so, the walls that divide us. Jesus is the one who reconciled us to God and gave us all that we need to reconcile with one another, this vertical and horizontal ministry of reconciliation. So we need to understand this gospel story in order to step into and begin to understand and address complex issues like racism in our culture. Because the solution is found in this story. The solution is found in Jesus, and that's what we want you to understand but we're a practical people, and, and so we might ask the question, and I've heard throughout this series people asking, okay, so, so what do we do? Like, what do we do? We're a, we're a doing people. We like to respond in something. And so how do we respond to the complex and messy issues of racism? Well, we live out our responses, and we write a better story with our lives. And you know, doing is actually a great response to the gospel of grace, And just as Paul teaches, and what Paul teaches in Ephesians is that doing doesn't save us, doing doesn't make us more loved by God, doing doesn't make us right with God, but doing actually is important, and it is a response of grace, and it is a response out of what God has done for us. And so doing matters. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
And I love how in that text he makes it so clear that it's all by grace. There's nothing you can do to be saved, nothing you can do to be made right with God. That's the beauty of our gospel. That's what sets the Christian faith apart. And yet he says because of that and when you understand that and when you embrace that truth of grace, you will want to live a life of response. And so we act, and we do, and we do these good works that were planned for us long ago. And so as as we've been going through this series, I've been just sort of compiling a list and just keeping a list and tweaking a list as we go along of how do we do good things? What do we do as we go through these complex issues of racism that can help us to write a better story? And so I've got a few application points for you today, about 22 of them just to overwhelm you, just to get you started. Now, you don't have to write them down because uh, we're going to go through them fast. But if you go into the study guide this week, they're all there. So you can look them up and they got some live links in there and some places to go. And I'd encourage you to do that. You might add to this list. This is not an exhaustive. This is a beginning. So here's 22 things that you can do out of the response of grace to what God has done for us in this issue of racism and this theme of four stories. Some of them are simple, some of them are complex, some of them are more outward and practical, some of them are more inward and philosophical, you might say. Well, let me start with the first one, which is not really a step as much as the flow of things. Let me just sort of articulate that. And we've been talking about this. This is what the flow might look like. First of all, listen well. We've been talking lots about that. Reflect well. Lament. Repent as necessary, where God convicts you and you see that there's a need to repent. And then act. Take a step. Let's move from conviction, not condemnation, to lament, not sentimentalism, to repentance, not blame, to reconciliation, not empty activism and political correctness. Another response, reject the single story. You know, we talked about that earlier on, but we need to tell many stories. We need to listen to many stories. We need to research and celebrate diverse stories of different people groups. Don't put people in a stereotypical box, but reject the single story of any individual or people group. Here's another thing you can do. Grieve with those who grieve. You may not understand their story. You might not even agree with their story, but if there are people in pain, you can still come alongside and show love and empathy. Seek truth and justice. You know, some might think as we've been talking about these stories that we just need to hear other people's stories and that's enough. That we just passively listen and kind of accept whatever's being said to us. But that's not what we're saying. Because you know what? Truth does matter. True stories do matter. We need to seek the truth. And we need to seek justice. But the starting point is to actually hear and understand well. But seek truth and justice Collaborate as partners and equals. You know, if we go and as we interact with different people groups and different people, we, we, we need to go as learners and listeners and collaborators. And one of the beautiful things for our church that has helped us to learn that is our walk with the indigenous people in Panama. As we partner there in Panama and we go together to collaborate, to learn from each other, and they have a heart and a desire to help us to understand even how we can do that with indigenous people here in our country. Serve at the bridge. There's a practical step. It's our local partnership. Commit to a season of regularly serving to get to know people and understand more of their stories. Think relationship, not ministry. In other words, 
don't just think right away of, okay, let's do something, uh, because then we often focus on someone's being the object of our ministry. But rather than do something, think about, I want to get to know someone and allow it to be relationship-based. See people from God's view, deeply flawed and deeply loved, just like you and me. Have a meal together with someone who's different than you, someone outside of your comfort zone, whatever that looks like. Here's one, give up offense. You know, this applies to every side of any conflict. But you know what? Having an ongoing posture of victim never helps anyone as it takes away our personal responsibility and it takes away hope. So we need to choose to give up the posture of offense and being a victim, no matter where you are in the story. Identify your triggers. I found in this series that there are things that trigger people. There are phrases and words that cause something to rise up within us to get our backs up. Pay attention to those things. Triggers matter. They're saying something. So what is it that triggers you? Go deeper and understand it and discuss it with somebody who thinks different than you. But pay attention to them. We've also tried to encourage you in this series to avoid the extremes. Not all power hierarchies are evil. Systemic racism is not everywhere and in every organization. Not all white people are racist. But if you are part of a dominant culture, you'll have to work harder, look deeper, listen longer. So avoid the extremes. Another one, just show up. Just show up at places you're not necessarily comfortable with, maybe where you'd have all kinds of theological questions. It's okay to be uncomfortable. In fact, I would say it's probably necessary to be uncomfortable if you're going to actually engage in this. You can't engage in it unless you're willing to be uncomfortable. Participate in a blanket exercise. That might make you uncomfortable. It's just a great educational workshop. There's resources there. But it's helpful to understand from a new perspective. Get out of your echo chamber. Expose yourself to all sides of an issue. Read diverse articles, books, listen to various podcasts. Follow, follow on social media different kinds of people. Look for reasonable people that you disagree with. Invite someone maybe to your small group or to engage with you and to, t- to tell their story from a different perspective. And you know that on social media, you just keep getting what you want to hear and what you affirm. And so you need to get outside of the echo chamber. Help support a refugee family. Our church has been involved in that in many years and continues to be and will be in the future. Watch a movie. I mean, there are countless movies that are so helpful to understand these issues and provoke and to, provo- and to provide an opportunity for discussion and discipleship. Engage your, do it intentionally with your family or your small group or some friends where you actually engage a movie and you, you intentionally talk about it and discuss afterwards. What does it teach you? I give you one example there. It's just a short one called Reserve 107. And it's actually a true story that's happening just north of us here in the story of, or in the area of Laird. And it's a story that is being told and unfolded right now in this area. And it's a great conversation piece. Prepare a response. Be proactive in this way. I've heard a number of people ask us, say, so what do we do when, you know, people that are close to us or maybe family members, they, they make racist comments. What do we say to them? I'm not sure. But maybe be proactive. If you know that that comes up a number of times, pray and reflect and think through and plan and say, okay, what's a better response that I can give? Read some of the TRC documents, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission documents. There's a whole list of calls to action. 
In the study guide this week, there is also a, a link to our Anabaptist church leaders that we're a part of a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission from 2014, and you can read that. Study the treaties. I've provided some links there that you can start to look at and to understand. I mean, after all, we are covenant people. And so we should understand at, the, at a base level what it means to be covenant people and how these reflect in that way. Pray more. Just pray more. I don't think that needs more explanation. And then lastly, the last one I'll mention is go on a 50-foot missions trip. I've encouraged us here to do that right here in this sanctuary, but we can do it no matter where we are. Just walk across the room, whatever room. Seek out somebody of a different color and background. Make a small attempt in some way to experience something different and have a new vantage point by meeting new people, trying to understand something of a new culture or people group right here where you are. I mean, those are just 22 to get you started. But I mean, there are so many things that we can do as we live out of this gospel of grace. These are responses of grace to what Jesus has done. Because you see, the answer to racism is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. He's the only one who can tear down the walls of division and hostility. He's the only one who can bring reconciliation where it seems impossible. Listen to these words again in Ephesians 2. It says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. That's the power and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where true reconciliation is found. That's where true freedom is found. And here's the interesting thing about our longing for justice in these stories, is that the gospel is a really kind of bizarre um, approach to justice. I can only imagine what those early Jews were looking for as their Messiah came and for those who even recognized Jesus as the Messiah and the one that God had sent. And they wanted justice. They wanted justice from the oppressive Roman rulers. And Jesus took all of that pain, took all of that injustice upon himself and carried it to the cross. And he absorbed it. He transformed it. He redeemed it. You know, sometimes justice doesn't look the way we think or imagine. And the gospel points us to a very different kind of justice, but it leads to reconciliation and freedom. And may God give us grace to live and to proclaim a better story as the church. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for what you have done on the cross. And we just praise you today. We praise your name because you are our peace. You are the only one who can tear down walls of hostility, who can tear down walls of opposition, who can tear down walls of misunderstanding, who can tear down walls of where we've placed up stereotypes of people, 
And God, I just pray that you would break into our culture, that you would break into our church, that you would break into our lives, and that you would continue to transform us and redeem us. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to seek truth and justice in you. And Lord, I pray that together as the church, we could write a better story. Pray that we would live faithful to your call. And Lord, may you be glorified in the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite Lisa and Chris. They're going to come and lead us in another song of response. And it's a song called The King of Kings. And what I love about this song is it, it tells the gospel story. And so as we stand together and as we sing, let's just proclaim this incredible gospel story that we get to be a part of.